0: Audio. Faith Over Fear is brought to you by Life Audio and is part of our Faith Toolkit series. For more inspirational, faith-affirming podcasts, visit us at lifeaudio.com. Hello. Welcome to the Faith Over Fear podcast, where we discuss powerful truths to counter anxiety and fear, big and small. At Holy Love Ministries, we are passionate about helping God's children discover, embrace, and experience soul, deep, emotional, and spiritual freedom, and we want to inspire you to share that freedom with others. We would love to connect with you online. Just visit our show notes to learn about one of our upcoming events, how to book one of our speakers for your next event, or simply how to connect with us. Before we begin today's discussion, I wanted to share about a fun giveaway I am hosting in December. I will be selecting one person randomly from my newsletter subscriber list to receive a book bundle. In that bundle includes Stand in Confidence by Amanda Pittman, Remaining You While Raising Them, The Secret Art of Confident Motherhood by Allie Worthington, Rooted, A Girlfriend Gathering Study of Philippians by Becky Harling, Better Than Okay, Finding Hope and Healing After Your Marriage Ends by Brandy Wilson, and A Faith That Will Not Fail by Michelle Couchette. So if you are not a subscriber, you still have time to subscribe to my newsletter and get in on the drawing. You can do so by visiting my website. Jennifer Slattery Lives Out Loud. I'm Jennifer Slattery, and I know what it feels like to wrestle with God, with doubts, and with myself. And I suspect we've all encountered difficulties that felt so intense or maybe went on for so long. We feared our faith wouldn't stand. Jesus told us we would experience hardship, wars, threats of war, persecution, rejection, illness. But he also encouraged us to take heart, to bolster our souls with the supernatural strength that only comes through Him. Well, my guest today, Michelle Kushat, has walked through some really painful and frightening circumstances. And today, she joins to share how God helped her develop a deep, enduring, rock-solid faith. Michelle, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, it's my pleasure, sir. We're so glad to be here. Michelle Kuchat is an international speaker who addresses a wide variety of audiences. She has published three previous books, including Relentless, Undone, And I am. And then her fourth book, which we're discussing today, A Faith That Will Not Fail. And it released in March of this year, 2023, a three time head and neck cancer survivor and parent of children from hard places. Michelle is a reluctant expert of trauma, pain and the deep human need for authentic connection And enduring faith. She and her husband, Troy share a blended family of six children. So she's incredibly busy, (laughs) including (laughs) biological children, stepchildren, foster, adopt children, and they live on eight acres outside of Denver, Colorado. I have to say, I, I love Denver. I love the culture. I love the area. It's so beautiful. Mm
1: -hmm. Me too. (laughs) I've been here. I've
0: been here. Oh gosh, almost three decades now. Oh wow. Um, Okay. Never gets old. Yes. 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 Well, when you discussed maintaining faith during difficult seasons, you really wrote from deep personal experience, correct?
1: Correct. Basically, from my early 20s until now, so that's about three decades, (laughs) I have faced a series of unrelenting and consecutive losses, and that is everything from an unexpected divorce and single motherhood to church difficulties and conflicts, which we've all had to some extent or another to blended family, step family. When my husband, my current husband and I now brought our families together, foster adoption, which you mentioned. And then on top of all of that, in the middle of all of that, I've also dealt with three different diagnoses of cancer and it was head and neck cancer.
0: Yeah, that I when I did read that, I I had to kind of pause because I I can't imagine. I just have to I, I, I can't imagine what that felt like. Well, can we talk? Let's talk a little about your divorce. And mainly because I feel yeah. like that that's a hard topic yes. in, in faith communities, because <laughs> sometimes our brothers and sisters who've gone through divorce, they don't always receive the support and the love yes. that they that they need. And so I imagine that must have been incredibly painful for you.
1: Very much so. So at the time I was living in the central U.S. in the Bible Belt. I was a pastor's wife. So that's another uh, component to the equation here. And it was the early 90s. So let's just be clear. In the early 90s, the church culture, the um, evangelical kind of movement environment, was not very accepting of people that didn't fit the traditional family yes. moles. Or women and, actually. <laughs> or women yes, exactly. I'll just add that to you. That's a whole nother bias. Yes. <laughs> and so here I was a twenty seven year old mom, former pastor's wife who all of a sudden, six days before Christmas, became a single mom wow. unemployed with a one and a half year old. And you know, basically my entire world was turned upside yeah. down. Where, where did a former pastor's wife go when wow. she divorced a single mom? And that right there completely wrecked me. Like that was probably the first and most significant blow in my life beyond just kind of the normal everyday challenges that forced me to kind of reevaluate what I believe to be true about guys, what I believe to be true about me. And how, how I could walk through life still believing in God while dealing with a life that was so very different than what I imagined it.
0: I so what, what were some of the doubts and insecurities that you found yourself battling during that time?
1: Well, the very first one is just a pretty big doubt and insecurity related to could I still be loved and accepted wow. by God with such yeah. a big wound oh. flaw? you know, something that I couldn't hide. Now I was marked, you know, growing up reading the scarlet letter, I felt I had the Uh, scarlet letter D, right? That I was now a divorced woman. And so there was a sense of, and even then there was some sense that, that I shouldn't be permitted to do any kind of leadership or ministry because I'm a divorced woman. And that sounds, I'm sure to some who are listening, so radical. And yet that was kind of common. Right. 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 If you were divorced, somehow you were excluded from ministry. And so I really, my initial struggle was, could God even stomach looking at me? Wow. I am a divorcing woman.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think too, because so much of, of, Who we are is expressed in serving God. Like that's when we come alive. That had to have just been a from an identity level, a fulfillment level that had to be a really deep, like you said, deep wound. Yeah,
1: significant. And you know, again, I, I I'm very cautious to not talk disparagingly about people because we all have our traumas, we all have our wounds, right? And we walk through this life with these wounds, and at times we hurt other people. Yeah, Um, but I remember, you know, being that 27 year old young woman who loved Jesus and hearing people quote scriptures to me and saying, "Oh, "Oh, if you would have just done what the Bible said, you wouldn't have ended up." Wow. Wow. And there was so much outside of my control. It wasn't like I wanted to end up a single mom.
0: (laughs) Right. No. Right. For sure. Yeah. People who don't know the full story and say, "Well, I'm going to use this verse as a weapon," and uh huh.
1: Yeah. And so there was, I mean, I remember First Corinthians thirteen that, you know, if I was really a good Christian woman, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it never fails, you know, all of that, that somehow I needed to figure out a way to fix all of this. Yeah. Wow. There were choices that were being made that weren't mine to make. And so what do you do? And right. So right. those were the initial challenges. Once I kind of kind of worked through some of my own shame and and self-doubt or self-loathing or whatever, then it turned toward anger toward God. Because <laughs> I grew up in a Christian household, had been praying for my one-day spouse since I was. Oh, wow. Actual. Wow. So now, you know, if I, you know, once I get done lashing myself, I needed to turn my blame elsewhere. And then I started blaming God. How could you do this to me? I've prayed for A Christian husband, my whole life. All I wanted to do was serve you in ministry. I was following you and this is what I get. I kind of vacillated between the two. It wasn't like a, I did one for a couple of months and then moved to the other. It was like I was all over the board between beating myself up and, you know, beating God up and who, who was I to blame myself or him? You know, either way, somebody failed and I didn't
0: know who it was. How did he meet you in your pain?
1: Well, I very specifically remember one day, there was about, there were several months that I went through where I really didn't want to have anything to do with faith or with God because I had felt very much let down by the God that yeah. I loved in yeah. the rest of my life. And I think it's so important to talk about it, honestly, because I know there are people listening right now yeah. that feel very much as if God has let them down. Yeah. Somehow he's abandoned them or dropped the ball or he doesn't love them or doesn't really care, whatever it is. And so... There were many, many months where I really didn't want to have much to do with God or the faith that I had been so passionate about my whole life. But then I discovered a really, really hard truth. And um, life with God and life without God both come with suffering. Yes. Right? There is no way to avoid pain, trauma, suffering. You can have faith or not have faith. Both equally come with suffering but life without God also comes absence of any hope.
0: Yes. Yes.
1: And that was what finally hit me that regardless of what I did, suffering was going to come, but I couldn't bear the thoughts of there not being any God, any being, any creator who somehow had all things in his hands. And so that kind of brought me to a place on my knees that I just remember this day so clearly. I was just at the precipice of despair, quite honestly. And I simply said, God, I don't need to understand. I just need you. And that was a moment of initial relinquishment and even a- an extension of trust that said, God, you haven't explained yourself. You probably will never explain yourself. And at this point, I don't even need to understand. I don't need your explanation. I just need you. Please don't leave me. And that was a turning point for me of my faith, taking one one step forward into a different place of maturity where I wasn't so much depending on God to deliver up to me a silver platter life. Like all of a now, it was more about God himself and not what he did for me. Wow.
0: I you say that again. That I, I love that. Say that again.
1: Yeah. So wait, really, at that point in time, when I bumped up against my limits of my despair, I made a decision. That I was going to love God for who he was, not what he did for me.
0: That's powerful.
1: That it needed to be about him and his character, not whether or not he delivered the life that I wanted. And, you know, you think about that in terms of children, right? Children think you're the best mom in the world when you give them the present they want at Christmas, right? But the moment you don't do that, then all of a sudden they can get really upset really fast. And so we do this as adults with God all the time. We love you, God. We'll follow you as long as you do your part the way I think you should do it. But the moment he doesn't do what we want him to do, we get like children who stomp our feet and pout and throw a fit. And so when I finally made the decision that I was going to love God for who he was, not what he did or didn't do, that was a necessary growth. Painful, let me tell you, painful, but it was necessary
0: did it help you heal and help take some of your fear and anxiety away? Like getting to that open, I would call open-handed living, that place of open-handed living.
1: Yeah. Before that, and even off and on in the year's sense, because I'm still human infallible, like we are, right? But before that, I had equated the blessings in my life with evidence of God's love. So when the blessings went away, I felt like God's love had gone away. And so part of this whole process with me choosing to trust him for who he was, regardless of whether or not he behaves the way I want. I had to really connect with his heart. And First John says over and over again that God is love, that he cannot operate outside of his very nature, which is love. And so the way it helped me is that I started to realize I I didn't understand God. I couldn't explain him. But the Bible was very, very clear that God is love if that is his core nature, then I don't need to question his love. I may question why some things happen, but I don't have to question his posture toward me.
0: That's beautiful. Going back to not just with your divorce. And so you you referenced to that you had three cancer diagnoses or recurrent, yes. was it recurrent? Yes. recurrent? Yeah.
1: So, uh, and you know, this is about, gosh, about 10, 12 years after my single motherhood season but i had remarried at that point my husband had two boys from a first marriage i have one boy from a first marriage we thought we'd throw our families together because it couldn't be that hard right brady bunch yeah (laughs) Wrong, wrong wrong so you throw five people with all kinds of trauma into a household and it's quite an adventure right in those years that followed, we slowly worked through all the challenges related to step family. We could do, again, the whole podcast on that. About 10 years into that marriage, on an ordinary Tuesday before Thanksgiving, I got a phone call from a doctor. I had had an ulcer on the side of my tongue that just would not heal. The doctor called that Tuesday morning. I thought he was calling to say, I told you it's nothing to worry about instead his first words were, I'm sorry, Michelle, it's not good. And that day I found out I had squamous cell carcinoma of the tongue or cancer of the tongue, which, you know, at that point in my life, I had been doing ministry as a Bible study teacher, and I had been traveling all over the United States and the world doing inspirational messages, preaching sermons, you know, doing basically my mouth, my tongue was the tool of my ministry, right? So once again here, the very thing that I thought, here I am, doing what God wants me to do is a thing that ended up coming with so much loss. Fast forward over the next four years or so, but that initial cancer diagnosis, they said it was the best case scenario. It was cancer caught early. They cut it out. Of course, it was not comfortable, but I was able to recover. Didn't need any treatment going out with my life. They said, we got it all. You have nothing to worry about except that they were wrong. And three years later, it came back the second time. Nine, ten, eight, nine, ten months later. After that, it came back a third time, and by the third time, it was so extensive and aggressive that they gave me about two weeks to get my affairs in order and wow. put me in the hospital right before Thanksgiving again. Did a nine-hour surgery where they took out two-thirds of my wow. tongue, did an incision on my neck where they, you know, kind of took out vessels and lymph nodes and all of those different pieces and parts. Um, did another incision on my arm, another on my leg. Basically, I was Humpty Dumpty. They had to kind of take me apart, take all the cancer out, put me back together in some kind of way that I could still swallow and speak and drink water and try to eat food naturally. After being in the ICU in the hospital for about a week, they gave me four weeks to recover and then they started external radiation and chemotherapy. And yeah, without going into details, that would be traumatic for listeners. Let's just say that when you start seeing the radiation at the face and the neck and the chest, it has some pretty significant consequences. And so by the time all was said and done, I had burns all over inside and out, multiple incisions and scars. i to learn how to eat, drink, talk, swallow again. And basically they took me to the brink of death in the hopes of maybe saving my life, but it took me a good solid two years to get back to some level of normal functionality. Now that said, I'll go on to mention that when I say normal functionality, I still live with a permanent disability, swallowing and eating and talking is extremely painful and difficult for me. As of right now, I'm still able to eat quote unquote normally, but there's a chance at some point in time, I won't be able to take a nourishment through my mouth because I can't swallow very well. And I live with chronic pain and will for the rest of my life. And so I'm at, you know, let's say, I don't know, 80, 90% functionality, but that 20% is chronic pain, chronic disability, choking, all of that on a daily basis. And so Now we have on top of, you know, having an unexpected divorce and single motherhood and church hurt, now we have medical trauma on top of everything else. And it's no joke, let me tell you. I had no idea how medical trauma can really, really mark you, heart, soul, mind, body, all of it, and leave you somewhat of a different person than you were before.
0: I can't even imagine what that would have been like. One thing I was thinking, though, as I'm listening to your story is the the relentlessness of God's call in your life. Like, you know, it's like, well, this should have taken you out. Well, nope, God's still got you. God's still moving you forward. He's still got a plan. This was supposed to take you out, like to lose your mouth with your very calling being speaking. But then it's like, nope, God is, you know, relentlessly good. He's still moving you forward. I do want to talk about that. And I, I love how you. Focused on God's love and I love how you're serving Him now. And and even though you have so many things that do you still wrestle with anger and and sadness and things at times? Sadness for sure. I have moments of anger. It's
1: not quite so much directed at God anymore. And by the way, there's kind there's the things I'm sharing on this podcast are just the things that are public. There is a whole wealth of, as you can imagine, Private traumas that, you know, never come out through the microphone for obvious reasons. But I've, I, I want to thank you for saying God's relentless call on my life. I'd never heard, I've never thought of it in quite those terms before. But I think it's so important for all of us who are in places of trauma to know that trauma may interrupt us and it may be an obstacle for us, but it's no match for the elder. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Right. So back to what you're saying. Do I still have moments of anger and sadness? Sadness, 100%. I only have like twenty, thirty percent of my taste left. So mm-hmm. when we're having a birthday cake with one of my many children and I can hardly taste it, that's wow. sadness. Let's just be yeah, clear. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. When I try to kiss my husband and it's not the same as it was before, that's a sadness. So I am very, when I try to sing worship songs at church or in the kitchen with my kids, and I can't sing very well. Those are all significant and legitimate losses. And so yes, the sadness, I'll have waves of sadness that still hit me. The anger, I don't have the same waves of anger anymore. Now, let's be clear. I had some pretty intense anger for a
0: very long time. I can, oh, I can totally understand. And that's probably <laughs> yeah. a healthy response for what yes. you were going I think through. It's
1: valid. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. And honestly, you know, so many people are, struggle with picturing an angry God, that God should always be fluffy and light and loving and all of that. I got to tell you, after my kind of suffering, it is actually a comfort to me that God one day is going to look at all that's broken with mankind and, and he will bellow enough right? enough. Yes, I want a God that is so angered by my suffering that he will redeem it. Does that make yes, sense? that's
0: beautiful. That's and really
1: beautiful. so from that standpoint, yes, I think my anger was an appropriate response and in many ways. I think it mirrored God's response to injustice and suffering. The Bible says that God is always bent toward the cries of the suffering, the innocent suffering, right? He's always... He hears when there is innocent bloodshed, when people are wounded and hurt and suffering and grieving and and I love his tenderness, but I also love the fact that he's angered by the human condition and he's going to resolve it. He's gonna he's gonna heal it. So
0: Hopefully that answers. Yeah, yeah. Well, And I would like you, so so speaking on that, you really emphasize in the book, and I don't know if we emphasize this enough in faith communities, you emphasize the importance of lamenting. And so first, for those who don't know what that is, because I may not hear that word very often, but if you could tell us what that is, and then really, what do you mean by that? Why is that so important?
1: Yeah, it's so important. I'm very passionate about this. (laughs) Lament is very, uh, lament is kind of an ancient term. Uh, And so it's not one that we use in modern language very often, but basically to lament is it's the vocalization of grief. So the lament is taking the grief that we have deep inside of us and giving voice to it. It's always demonstrative and expressive. So keeping grief hidden inside is not lament. Like we all grieve, but we hide it really well uh, in many cases. Lament is saying, I'm not going to hide it. I'm going to give voice to it. I'm going to say, I am grieving, I am sad, I am angry, whatever it is. And so lament, this vocalization of grief is very simply telling the truth about our pain. It's not trying to appear that we are more together than we are. It's not trying to put a shiny polish on our experience or varnish everything so it looks super pretty. It's telling the truth about our pain. And the reason it's so important, one, we see examples of lament. All the way through the Bible. It's everywhere. Once you start looking for it, you will see it everywhere. In fact, there's an entire book of the Bible. One of the 66 books is called Lamentations, which is a book of lament. (laughs) So, so obviously we have some measure of divine sanction for lament since God talks about it in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is crying out. He's suffering. He knows the pain that's coming. He's asking God to take the cup from him. That is the vocalization of his grief. So there we see it modeled. But if you take all kind of religious, Christian, faith bearings out of the conversation and just talk about it from a psychology, neurobiology standpoint, lament, uh, and with you have any, have done any kind of research into trauma, telling the truth about our pain is not just important it is necessary for any kind of healing. We cannot heal, but it's not been revealed, right? So if you and I want to be able to heal from the things that wound us, we have to be able to admit that there's something that needs to be healed, first of all, right? It's very hard for someone who goes to see a therapist to discover any kind of healing if they keep saying, there's nothing wrong with me, everything's fine, I'm good, there's no problem. They have to acknowledge that I have a wound that I need to deal with. I have a hurt. I have something, right? And so I've, I've talked about this with my kids, with my husband, myself, and I, I talk about this all the time. Telling the truth about our pain is simply refusing to hide and to to basically reconcile what's happening on the inside with what we do on the outside. So then we become whole rather than fragmented beings. We tell the truth about it.
0: Well, yeah, that's very powerful. I and I, I would like to to actually close our discussion. So you've talked a lot about trauma, and in your book, so I, so you come from a place of of personal understanding. And mm-hmm. in the book, you talk about the importance and the freeing power of of forgiveness, and then you also talk mm-hmm. about reconciliation. I'd I'd love to hear you discuss kind of that tension between those who have yeah. I mean, if you do, you have foster kids like you may not want them to reconcile with their parent, right? Because that wouldn't yeah, be safe. Yeah, especially so- if
1: it's an unsafe situation, an abusive situation. You know, I love that you're asking this question because I feel like in in Christian church communities, we don't always do a great job of wrestling with the nuances of us, right? And I think it's important that we also separate forgiveness for reconciliation, right? They're two separate things. Forgiveness is basically saying that I'm going to i'm going to remove myself from being the exactor of of consequences. Let me say it differently because there are times that we do need to give consequences i'm going to re- remove myself from being the ultimate judge and jury. I refuse to let this wound keep me enslaved. This wrong keep me enslaved. Reconciliation means you kind of dive right back into relationship and you restore a relationship that's not always possible or healthy or helpful. In fact, if it's an abusive relationship or, you know, like with my kids having a, I have three foster adopted kids who have a child, early childhood trauma and reconciliation would actually be very unhealthy and unwise. At the same time, it's possible to have forgiveness without
0: reconciliation. Where does anger and grief and all of that fit in with the journey towards and I want to use the word intention the journey towards forgiveness because I'm like we just one day boom and everything right yeah yeah forgiveness has been a
1: challenge for me because there are wounds that I don't even talk about that were at the hands of people I should have been able to trust and that's painful and it makes me angry and it's not okay and it's unfair and we can go on and on and on right Telling the truth about that. So I think at times in our faith communities, we think forgiveness means, I'm just going to pretend it's okay and that it didn't hurt. That's still being dishonest, right? Forgiveness is being able to say, what happened? This thing, it was wrong and it exacted of cost. There is a debt to be paid here because what happened was unjust. It was unacceptable, whatever you want to say. It's a debt that has to be paid. And that's telling the truth. So you can be angry about that. You can be hurt. You can acknowledge that it's a debt but forgiveness says I'm not going to let it cost me anymore so I'm gonna forgive that debt there still may need to be consequences but I'm gonna forgive that now practically what that looks like is there are still times some of these wounds from my past really mess me up You know, you have a bad dream in the middle of the night that reminds you of that trauma right you wake up mad again angry again, hurt again and what I have to do is take to God and say I can stay basically enslaved to this thing that has held me captive for a long time, or I can simply say I forgive them. I'm not necessarily going to resume relationship with them, but I practically, there have been many times I go back to God and say, God, I am so angry. I am so hurt. I don't feel like forgiving them. But I don't want to live enslaved to this thing any longer. So from that standpoint, I forgive them. And trust you to be the God of justice and mercy better than I can.
0: Yes, yes. And and he is faithful, right? So, yes. and I, I loved your book. So I want it for our listeners. So she goes through different elements of really that we can grow our faith. Step by step. And so like practicing lament, processing grief and guilt and shame, like we talked about, she helps you understand what keeps you from trusting God and how to navigate your doubts with truth. Mm-hmm. And and also simple ways to, I love that you foster shalom. So for our listeners, that means God's wholeness. It's a, it's mm-hmm. a, a word for peace and wholeness and how to foster that in your daily life. And again, Her book is called A Faith That Will Not Fail, 10 Practices to Build Up Your Faith When Your World is Falling Apart. And as you've heard today, she has experience with the sides of that. So that's what living in victory is like, right? One day at a time.
1: And that's the good. Ultimately, the good news is, is that we have a God who has prayed for our faith. There's such a great story of that where Jesus prays for Peter's faith, but he also prays for all of our faith. And the good news of that is it's not all up to us. We have a God who is, he's so capable and powerful and loving. And sometimes all we can bring is our trauma. And he goes, okay, I can take all of that. And I can redeem it.
0: Yeah, that's beautiful. Well, Michelle, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your insights and your stories and your wisdom. My pleasure. Thank you, Jennifer. It's such a sweet pleasure to be able to be with you. Thank you for listening. If you haven't already done so, I encourage you to subscribe. Then you won't miss a single episode. We've got some great ones coming up. Share it with your friends and make sure to rate it. That encourages our team and that helps others to find it as well. Until next time, may you live as one who truly has been set free. Faith Over Fear is a production of Life Audio and Salem Media. If you liked what you heard today, please take a second to rate and review this podcast in your favorite podcast app so that more listeners like you can find the show. For more faith-filled inspirational podcasts, visit us at lifeaudio.com. Are you concerned about tensions in the Middle East? Do you wonder where we're currently at in the biblical timeline? Are we really in the last days? Hi, everyone.
1: I'm Dr. Carl Muller with the Inside the Epicenter podcast. Every week, my co-host, best-selling author Joel Rosenberg, and I answer those questions and more. You'll hear inside knowledge of our meetings with leaders at the highest levels of government in the U.S., Israel, and the Middle East, equipping you to filter the news with biblically sound insights. Find Inside the Epicenter on your favorite podcast app, or go to JoshuaFun.com to listen and subscribe.